welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Um, Good morning. My name is Courtney Harris. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I serve in Well Kids, and I'm a part of the Brentwood CG. Um, I love them. So today our scripture reading comes from Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord. All right, beautiful family. How are we? Good. Good to be with you all on this nice spring morning in the middle of January. All right. Praise God because the cold is from the devil. Speaking of the devil, spiritual warfare. Are we ready? You like that? That was good, huh? Okay. Um, hey, uh, this uh, sermon was actually the longest sermon I have ever written originally, all right? My first practice of it was 97 minutes. And I went out and I told Meg, our children's director, and she died and then resurrected and then died again, all right? And so we have a ton, a ton to cover, so I want to dive right in, all right? But I'm going to stick kind of close to my notes so that I don't go that long. The second and third practice was a lot shorter, don't worry, okay? Um, spiritual warfare. Uh, That is a topic that several people, I think, are zealous to discuss because you're really into spiritual warfare. You think that there are Satan and demons kind of all over the place, right? And so you get a flat tire, that must be the work of Satan. You hurt your arm, that is Satan. Your annoying coworker, the devil, right? (laughs) Allergies, Satan, which that one might be true, okay? Um, And for others, you kind of immediately feel uncomfortable because you kind of barely believe in spiritual warfare. In fact, you may have kind of wished you didn't even come to church today. Uh, And because we have that spectrum and because we have a lot to cover, I want to say up front, we are not going to cover everything today. All right. Uh, Go to CGs this week. If you're not involved in CGs, get involved in one. They have all sorts of resources and books and videos and different thoughts that I would encourage you to dive into this, particularly if the Holy Spirit kind of provides evoke something in you as we're talking this morning. But what I do want to cover today is the reality of spiritual evil and spiritual warfare in our lives and why it's important as we journey through these mountains and these valleys together to recognize that there's spiritual influence that is trying to rip us down and trying to destroy the good works of God in your life. Because we're doing Psalm 23 as a tie-in, if you were with us last week, you know we're journeying through that as well. We see this even in that psalm. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which that's where Satan dwells, according to the rest of Scripture, 
He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. In fact, you, God, are so good, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And understanding that there's a spiritual enemy out to destroy our spiritual lives is significant as we overcome some of the valleys that we may find ourselves in or as we endure with patience that valley, relying and trusting on God's power. And so before I get into the flow of these mountains and valleys, before we get into the idea of lamenting in the valley or Sabbathing kind of in the middle or celebrating on the mountain, which remember, that's the flow that we're going through, we have to recognize the spiritual reality around us and how evil in the heavenly places impacts each one of those areas. It impacts your lamenting, it impacts your Sabbath, it impacts your celebration, and it will impact your calling to do more. Much for the kingdom of God. And so for the skeptic in here today who may not think there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm, I want you to know that I was once right there with you. And it's really easy to not really understand or even be cognizant of the spiritual evil around us. To quote the great theologian Kevin Spacey in Unusual Suspects, says the greatest trick of the dev- that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Bars. Some of y'all thought that quote was in the Bible, right? Um, I-, I knew Satan existed, but I-, I didn't really understand his impact in our lives. And I remember being a freshman in college and physically writing down in like a prayer journal, God, I know that evil is real, but I don't think it exists that much. Really, it's just my flesh that is uh, interacting with me, and I need to kill my flesh, and that's it. There's not really a whole lot of spiritual evil. I wrote that down and then two days later had one of the most spiritually significant moments in my life where I saw true spiritual warfare. And because I had to cut down 97 minutes, I cut down three stories about spiritual warfare, okay? But all of a sudden, God started showing that to me. And I know why he was showing it to me. It's because he was also calling me into ministry. And as a pastor, I've interacted with so many people where there is true oppression that is going on in their life that they need deliverance from. I saw spiritual evil firsthand. And I no longer was a skeptic. In fact, I was a believer in it and needed to understand how to interact with this. And so I have tons of stories, right? Small stories, big stories that are honestly too fanciful for here today. But I get that in our materialistic world, it's hard for us to comprehend the spiritual realities at play because I really do think Satan tries to lull us to sleep with his existence. He tries to make you think everything is just material and it's not family. You are a soul. You will go to a spiritual place. Spiritual evil is real, and you need to recognize that reality. However, I don't think that Satan's main influence is in these fanciful ways, because the enemy's greatest attacks are not in exorcisms, but in the subtlety of your mind. You see, he hides in your lies, making you think that those lies are just you, when in reality, there's a spiritual being that's impacting your decision-making, your thoughts, your processes. Spiritual evil is real. And so we'll talk about that some. For others of you, you're not a skeptic at all. You have experienced some evil or some oppression or voices or darkness or even attacks, and you know that that was of the enemy. And so Satan tries to hide from some of us so that you blame everything on the world and completely miss his activity in your life. And then he tries to create fear in some of us as if somehow this pathetic enemy is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. 
And we need to avoid both of those extremes. I want to balance that today. And so before we go into Ephesians, which we just read, what I want to do is I want to give a biblical framework from Genesis to Revelation to show you how spiritual evil is real. And with that framework, I want to then show how we can endure in the midst of this darkness. And so we'll cover all the scriptures. Don't worry. I cut down most of it. All right. And then we're going to dive into Ephesians. Bet? Cool. Cool. Genesis, Revelation, how do we frame this? Well, most people would think that spiritual evil starts in Genesis chapter 3, but it actually begins before this. We know that God created the heavens and the earth, and within the fourth day, he created spiritual beings as well. And somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, some of these spiritual beings decided to rebel against God. Most scholars think that Isaiah 14 speaks of this moment. It says this in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. If you're reading King James Version, that word there is Lucifer from the Latin son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You sit in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mounts of assembly and the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the farthest or to the far reaches of the pit. So at some point, Satan, desiring to be God, rebels against God and is then cast out of heaven. And humanity's biggest problem is that we too, just like Satan, are trying to be gods without God. You see, Satan is likely influencing some of that desire inside of you to be above your need for God because this was his original sin that got him kicked out. Why do you think you try to live your life without the presence of God, family? Maybe it's not just your flesh. Maybe there's spiritual evil working as well. And so Genesis 3 now, we see Satan interacting with, committing spiritual warfare against humanity. In Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Huh. It's interesting to me that we tend to think that spiritual warfare is like the exorcism of Emily Rose type stuff, right? And that does indeed happen. I've seen it particularly overseas. However, from the very beginning, the most typical spiritual warfare is not humans crawling along the walls filled with a demon, but humans being filled with lies about God. That's how the enemy wants to interact in our life. You know that lie that frequently jumps into your head that you know is not true, but you are tempted to believe it because it speaks a lie about God? Are you sure that you don't have a serpent dwelling around you, family? Are you sure there's not spiritual warfare trying to corrupt the good gift that God has for you in your life? That lie that goes against what God thinks about you, but you think it about you all the time? Like, I'm not enough. I don't have anything to give. I am trash. There's something wrong with me. As if God would speak any one of those things over you. 
Are you sure that's just you thinking that? Or is that the lie of the enemy as well? Are you sure that things aren't more spiritual than you realize, family? I said, I'm saying on my notes. Come on. Okay. Here we go. So they get kicked out the garden, right? And now they live in a world and we live in a world, as Ephesians 2.2 would say, ruled by Satan, meaning we're vulnerable. And we see this vulnerability immediately post-fall. Genesis chapter four, verse six. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? Cain's about to kill his brother here. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and his desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now peep this y'all, leave that text on the screen there. Sin, we would say, is this like inanimate decision. It's just something that we do. And yet in Genesis four, sin is portrayed as this active, as this living thing, like it's a lion seeking to devour you as Peter would later go on to say. In fact, in a verse we'll read later, we see that anger actually gives the devil a foothold in our lives. And the devil was a murderer from the beginning, according to John 8, 44. So is this just sin interacting with Cain? Or is there a spiritual evil that's also interacting with him that is causing him to go against the works of God? Are you sure that all your temptation is just your flesh, family? Or is there more at play here as well? Was God telling Cain, there's more at play than you realize, watch out, be aware. And if the Bible is written for our instruction, then is Genesis 4 in here to tell you to be aware as well. You following the thread so far? And so throughout Genesis, we see this at play. There's this evil wanting to win our souls, to frustrate the works of God. And God in his grace keeps delivering people from that evil. Fast forward, okay, throughout the Old Testament, cut out a lot of these stories, but we have Pharaoh that is said to be filled with the enemy. We have Job that is literally being attacked by Satan himself. You see uh, 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 Saul being literally imparted or filled with a demon possessed in 1 Samuel 19, which I won't go into today, but the, the presence of darkness is all over the place throughout the Old Testament. You fast forward into Jesus's ministry, even if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, you're probably familiar that there was all this spiritual happenings, this demonic possession that was revealing itself in Jesus's ministry. I believe the reason that it was so prevalent was because Jesus is God himself and God is spirit, AKA Jesus is spiritual. And so you begin to see spiritual things, the more spiritual people are, which is why people that dwell in new age stuff tend to see demons or, or angelic beings that we know are actually demonic. We see the more spiritual inclined, the more we see a spiritual reality. But Jesus is tempted by Satan himself in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, which we'll look at more in a second. Once again, that temptation is not him being possessed, it's just him trying to get Jesus to believe lies about God. And then in Acts, in the early church, you see demonic possession. Sometimes they win. Sometimes they actually lose against it. In fact, in Acts 19, demons physically harm people because of the things that are going on. And just to give you a biblical framework at large, every single New Testament author talks about Satan or demons or spiritual warfare, and virtually every single New Testament book talks about it, with the exception of a couple of one-chapter books, and even those give allusion to spiritual warfare, saying things like the evil in the world. 
And so all throughout the Bible, we see this idea that spiritual warfare is real. You fast forward then into Revelation where Jesus finally crushes the head of the great serpent of Satan himself and throws him into hell, not where he reigns, but where he suffers forever. Get that out of your mind. And so here he is now with all demons also being cast down as well. And so I give this biblical framework to say that spiritual evil at play in your lives is real and it's not a non-biblical idea. In fact, it's very prevalent in scripture. It's just less prevalent in our lives because we are kind of timid to interact with it for some reason. But it's important that we see the realities of this. In fact, family, the sheer number of prayers that our staff and elders have prayed over people and then seen their healing or deliverance after we prayed shows me that there is spiritual evil at play often, even in the afflictions of our life. It is evidence that the spiritual realm is present. In fact, I would say the well's corporate suffering that we talked about some last week has been spiritual. And this is probably true in your individual life as well. You know how you fall into the exact same generational sins that your family does? Is that not spiritual in nature, family? Is there not something that is going on there? We'd be wise to understand the realities of this. And so that person that, that hurts you so badly, are you sure that that was just that person? Or like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, which we'll read in a second, are you actually not just wrestling with flesh and blood, but it's with something more than that? And so what if you're mad at somebody for hurting you that God actually has sympathy for because God sees the spiritual reality in their life and sees their oppression and wants them to be delivered from it, but you're mad about it and won't even engage with them because you think you're wrestling with just flesh and blood. There's spiritual evil at play, family. What if things are more spiritual than we think? That's what I want to cast in our minds. Listen, y'all, as we try to push back darkness, you better believe that darkness will try to push back. There's a spiritual reality. In fact, I wanna show you one more thing, okay? I know I'm skipping around. Thank you, PowerPoint person. Uh, who is that? Travis, thank you, brother. Um, look at all the names that the Bible gives for just Satan, okay? Not, not demons, but just Satan. So the fact that the Bible gives all of these names for just Satan shows that he is an active character in our world. Therefore, we can safely assume that there's negative spiritual realities at play in your life, family. The enemy wants to destroy. And so as I think about the suffering that many people in here have experienced, and even as I think about the hope that we created last week that said, I think that God is doing something, it would be wise for us to understand that a lot of this suffering may not just be natural, it may be spiritual as well. And so even when I think about my last year, last year, um, can, can I just do something for a second? I love how y'all say, yeah, you don't even know what I'm gonna do, right? <laughs> Uh, I wanna walk through a lot of what I've been through this last year. And I just wanna highlight the reality of spiritual evil, okay? And so I kind of separated these into different sections, like physical, emotional. And then I was like, you know what? Rather than preaching this, I'm just gonna read this because 97 minutes, I'm trying to cut it down, okay? And so last year, I want you to hear, just, just Tori, this is my life, okay? I had this freak kind of abdominal tear issue, had a molar extraction. Ironically, the same week, my brother had to get the exact same tooth removed, had some severe lower back stiffness. I had my neck lock up four times right before preaching. Had this weird eye twitching thing, had a right shoulder strain. I partially tore my patella tendon, had a slight ankle sprain, had IBS flare ups. I went to the doctor more last year than the previous decade combined. 
I began counseling. I felt this emotional exhaustion. We had to move nine times in the course of six months with four kids, y'all. Like we were living with people and we got four kids. Would y'all want us coming over your house? Okay, think about the reality of that, right? (laughs) That was during the darkest time of our church. Had all these insecurities flare up, constantly felt like a loser, felt like a failure. I started believing lies, y'all, like straight lies. Like, like, Tori, you're trash. You suck. Nobody likes you. You're not a good leader. Had this depression, felt this dark night of the soul, had a general spiritual dryness in the word and in prayer and in worship in particular, had a constant voice of accusation and attack. I lost four good friends in the course of like two weeks, had all this random criticism and leadership when I knew that I was confidently making these biblical decisions, but I had multiple people that were like emailing me, texting me like all at the same time. I wasn't giving enough, not doing enough, not doing the right thing. This made me feel absent at home, which felt like a failure that much more. Had to release an employee, had all this fallout from that. Then had all these spiritual dark dreams in the midst of that. Had a major moral failure in our church with this fallout that came from that. Had to excommunicate someone. Had this elder problem that I came and discussed. Lost some just key members to move, some good, but some bad. Then lost two key staff team members. Then moved to the east side, which was good, but hard. Then had this employee situation that was heavy, I can't even discuss on record. Had several members all at the same time going through infertility or miscarriages or death to their family members. Then some divorce, then some abuse. Then I was the only pastor on staff because of lack of hires. Then we had these problems with our new house and we finally did get in. Then these car problems, then a family member kind of steals some money from me. Then we had these tragedies with friends that I can't discuss recorded. Then some family problems that I can't discuss recorded. And then some intense spiritual oppression Depression, plus extremely dear friends of mine were suffering kind of left and right. And there's several other things I had to take off because I can't discuss them recorded. Now y'all, some of that is just natural, right? Like maybe I didn't take care of my teeth. That's why my tooth had to be pulled out, right? Okay. Uh, uh, maybe we didn't make the right hires. Maybe we just got a bad contractor by the luck of the draw. But to me, it's clear y'all that all of these things happen. I said the last year, they all happen in about a four month window, y'all. Like, is that really just coincidence? Are you sure that there's not spiritual evil at play in the midst of all of that? Y'all, then my granny texted me and said, in the middle of all of that, hey, I don't know why I feel led to tell you this, but Satan attacks those who are most active in the kingdom of God. And I used to kind of cast away things like that. Like, oh, whatever, no, Satan hates all of us. He attacks all of us. But the longer I'm in ministry, the more I believe that this is just true, that Satan begins to attack more ferociously those who are actively pushing back darkness and actively advancing the kingdom of God, which would make sense to me why he's attacked our church as much as he has, family. Because in the midst of that, there was all this good as well. We had one of the best celebration Sundays I had ever seen. We had all of this conversion and life change, and we were moving back over here and beginning to make some impact. But then in the midst of it, all of a sudden, people that really love Jesus would like speak lies about others, and it would come back to me, and I would go, can't you see that that's Satan, that they're being influenced by the devil, even though they may be good themselves, there's all of this spiritual evil that was at play. And maybe, beloved, maybe... That's why you experience some of the suffering that you've experienced as well. Maybe you're actually doing good in the kingdom of God and the enemy wants to do evil because of your good. Or maybe the enemy sees the potential for good in your life as he recognizes God's anointing over you and wants to keep you from walking in that, beloved. Maybe there's more at play than we think. Now, I wanna say all of that to say, spiritual evil is real. 
That's the first point. Spiritual evil, it is real, family. If my own life can't tell you that, if the biblical framework can't tell you that, if you can't look at your life and begin to realize there's something there, I would just encourage you to wrestle with that reality. Spiritual evil, it is real. And it's funny because the temptation then is to feel a little bit fearful here, like, oh, shoot, Satan, right? But the evil one is a pathetic coward compared to our resurrected Savior. Pathetic, powerless, and a coward. With no fear should you say that, because if you are a child of God, then he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so this is where Ephesians 6 comes in, right? Like, listen, spiritual evil is real. But then Paul says, hey, I don't want you to trip about that. Here's how you fight it. Here's how you overcome spiritual evil. Even in the valleys where evil is dwelling, you should not fear because God is with you, family. This needs to be our reality. And so listen, if because I'm gonna go just a little bit longer, if you miss everything else today, here's the most important thing I want you to take away here right in the middle of this sermon is that the greatest way that we can fight against spiritual warfare is to have intimacy with Christ, y'all. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. As you recognize the presence of Christ with you, family, you need not fear the spiritual evil in your life. It ain't stronger than he is, okay? And do you know what my biggest attack was during that whole season? My intimacy with Christ. Because of everything that was going on, most of my quiet times got stolen up. Most of them got confused and distracted. I lost this intimacy. And as I began to refight for it, all of a sudden these things got put in perspective and I was seeing things much more clearly because intimacy with Jesus helps you overcome the evil one. Now I'm gonna fly through this, but stay with me because it's important, okay? If you wanna do a phenomenal study this week, by the way, look up every time the phrase heavenly places is used in the Bible. In fact, it's only used in Ephesians, okay? And what you'll see is almost every reference about heavenly places talks about that that's where Christ dwells. And because you're in Christ, you dwell with him in that. And therefore you have the power to overcome. But here in verse 12, we also see that there's this battle that's going on in the heavenly places. And notice all of the power that God gives us though. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 16, we see that God is with us. He gives us this power. In other words, because of whose you are, Jesus is, you have the ability to overcome spiritual evil, including things like temptations and internal lies, which Eve fell victim to. In fact, note this, the Lord, which is Jesus, God, the Father, and the Spirit are all mentioned in this section. In other words, you have the entire Godhead at your disposal to fight against Satan. So if the Holy Spirit inside of you wasn't enough, then you have Christ as well. And if for some reason that's not enough for you, you have God the Father helping you overcome this as well. You need not fear, you should just be aware. That's what Paul's reality is, aware of what? Well, it's funny to me that the serpent comes as a serpent in Genesis 3. Why? Because Adam and Eve are used to dealing with the animals, are they not? They're naming all the animals. And so it's not strange that an animal will come because they're used to dealing with the animals. In other words, Satan appears as an angel of light. He does not appear as this like guy with horns that's scary. He appears to you in ways that you're familiar with so you can begin to believe these lies. And so notice what it says here. We should be aware of the schemes of the devil, well-planned attacks. That's what a scheme is. 
So there's not just this grit on grit fight, right? It's like lying and manipulation and subtlety. Like, did God really say sort of temptations that come over you? Are you sure that God is actually good? Are you sure that he is actually for you sort of lies? And you don't even recognize it's happening, y'all. So when I say that, we're prone to think that we don't hear those voices. But if you really take inventory of your week, my guess would be you hear those things five, six, seven times a day. Like that person is untrustworthy and they're into themselves, sort of temptations, which creates disunity and then stunts the overall mission of God. And it makes you turn selfish about what's happening to you rather than selfless and trying to overcome the evil in the world. Hello, right? In fact, if I could just be sobering for a moment, Satan seems much more dedicated to our spiritual destruction than we are towards our spiritual development, which is why Paul is urging us here to stand. Stand, he says, take this seriously. Do something about it so that you won't fall victim to this ancient enemy. And so we have to be aware. We have to recognize there's a fight that is happening for our souls. Notice all the against phrases that are here in this section. We could be tempted to just kind of go on about life, not realizing there's a demonic war trying to assassinate and annihilate. It is against you. You see people falling away from the faith and you just say, oh, they're just deconstructing. Are you sure that that's not spiritual family? Like 2 Corinthians 10 would literally say it is as they do that. And so what do we do in this fight? Well, Paul says we stand is what we do. In fact, there's four different kinds of standing that's mentioned in this section. You can go study it. They're all different words, but they all mean to stand. It's not just this passive idea, but there's an active idea of what we do in this battle. You see, when Jesus was tempted, he also stood and that helped him overcome the work of the enemy as well. And he did that to perfection. So there's this defensive and this offensive strategy that we use against the enemy to prevent his schemes of working in our life. And as we cling fast to Christ, we see it really clearly. It's interesting to me, thinking about spiritual warfare, that Paul wouldn't just say something like, hey, suit up in this section, but that he would go into all this detail about the types of armor that you're supposed to wear. It would have made the analogy very plain to be like, it's a war, therefore suit up. But why is he highlighting all these pieces? I think Paul is probably saying, Satan is trying to destroy all of these different things in you. And there are ways that he's trying to attack you. You need to be on guard on all of these different realms. Now, Western readers can easily think this strength and this mustering up of this internal will when we think about spiritual warfare, right? We're like, yeah, fight, is what we tend to go into. However, what we see in this section is that we have to fight with something that we cannot internally raise up, but with a divine power that comes from the outside. Put really simply, you are not stronger on your best days than the ancient serpent beast is at his worst days. And so you need somebody stronger than you, somebody outside of you to give you the power. You cannot use human willpower to defeat Satan, y'all. To quote Jay-Z, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight, a pin to a test. It's dumb, right? The next bar is a cuss word, so I'm gonna be careful here. Uh, We also, as Western readers, I think we kind of get this like conquering sort of reality here. Like, yeah, punch Satan in the face is what I think we tend to think. But Paul says, what do we do here? He says, we put on peace. 
How does peace help you win a war? Or things like love or, or truth or faith. Like just believe and then you'll be able to overcome. How does that help you to win this war? Well, you got to reframe what's happening in this war because it's not this demonic oppression and possession that, that he's most interested in. It's in stealing your faith. And so as you begin to be tempted to believe things about God or about yourself or about your brother or sister or about the kingdom that is not true, then Satan is winning the battle and he could win your soul if we are not careful, family. So Paul says we need to put on faith. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, the way that you fight is very, very different, okay? Now, I don't have time to go into this specifically in full, but I do find it interesting. I read four different like books or sections of books on spiritual warfare from vastly different authors in the past couple of weeks. And do you know that every single author mentioned that the biggest way that Satan oppresses and even possesses us, or in other words, we open up ourselves to the attack of Satan in our life and to demonic influence in our life. The biggest way that he does that is through our unforgiveness our unforgiveness towards others, our unforgiveness of ourselves, and our unforgiveness towards God. That's the biggest way. All the authors, from extremely charismatic to like extremely conservative, all said the biggest way that you get oppressed is through unforgiveness, which I don't think it's a mistake then that in the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray that we would be forgiven our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then what's the very next line, y'all? that we should be delivered from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're called to forgive those who trespass against us and then called to pray for deliverance as if Jesus knew that these things were connected, because they are. One of the biggest ways we cannot act like God is through our withholding of grace towards others, which allows the enemy to work in your life. Do you see how this is not just this possession battle, but it's a battle for your faith. It's a battle for the Imago Dei. It's a battle for you turning more into the image of Christ. Satan wants you to turn more into the image of sin. And we have to recognize his influence there. And so the way that we fight is different with peace and love that we give to one another. And so maybe the reason that you can't overcome some of the emotional bondage is not just your need for more counseling, family, though counseling is beautiful and true and it helps you work out some of that emotional garbage at times. But maybe the reason you can't overcome that emotional problem is maybe just because you haven't forgiven somebody. And maybe as you do that, you release the work of the oppressive enemy in your life. Just something for you to think about, wrestle with. We see even in Paul's letters though, what we're fighting for is so different, right? If you're not tracking with that unforgiveness thing, let me give you one direct one that is here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27. It's really, really clear, right? He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so we have to recognize that unchecked anger could actually be a foothold for the devil. And so notice how subtly spiritual warfare can take place. Because for many Christians, I think that we look at all of the evils in the world and we lament all of the ills that we see in media and in culture, and we call those things the works of Satan, which they may indeed be that. But maybe the greater spiritual evil is the fact that we've allowed the world to disciple us to be angry at everything, mad, 
not realizing we're opening up our souls to oppressive spirits that continue to disciple us to be mad. And so maybe the greatest threat to the kingdom is not some moral evil. Maybe it's the anger that you harbor towards your political opponent. Maybe there's way more demonic activity in that than you would think. Or toward that family member or that ex-friend, or the organization, or the individual, or that societal structure that you feel maybe there's more spiritual reality than just that. We're lulled to sleep by Satan because we don't understand his tactics, and then we allow this oppression to come in our life, and we wonder why we're not filled with the joy of Christ, family. Maybe the enemy is trying to slowly but surely chip away. And if you recognize there's a lion that's out to devour you, just like God told Cain, you can overcome it as you wear the right garments of peace, of joy, of hope, of grace. Here's what Paul is saying. As we allow sin to reign in our lives, we create these footholds for the devil. It's easier for him to reign in our life as well. Satan wants to destroy every good work of God. So he tempts us to sin, especially against one another, because we are the greatest work of God, the church of Christ, which makes sense why there's always this division or temptation for that because Satan is trying to ruin the works of God, family. And we have to recognize the reality to this. And if left to ourselves, we are completely helpless against spiritual evil. But good thing that the most consistent promise all throughout scripture is that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. You are not alone, like we just sang, family. Jesus was our great model of spiritual warfare and how to overcome it. You see, Jesus defeated every single spiritual evil. He was our, our role model of how to suit up. He always wore peace. He always wore truth. He always wore faith. He was always consistent in prayer. He fulfilled Ephesians 6 to perfection. But even more than our example, he was actually the one that overcame, that literally defeated Satan, y'all. Listen, if you're kind of checked out thinking about something, recheck in here and begin to let your heart worship Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter two, verse 15. It says that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame, you know, because he was openly shamed on a cross. And yet here comes the reverse by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. You see, Jesus did this backwards than we would expect though. Jesus sliced off the head of the serpent by dying. And as this ironic king of the universe became sin for us, we now also can overcome as well. Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. And since, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Christ himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In other words, through death, through sacrifice, through peace, faith, love, he overcame. And as we kill sin, and as we look to the good of others, and as we look to Jesus as our example and our fulfillment, and as we realize that because of the power of the cross, we have been atoned for, now we can walk in that power because the spirit of God dwells in us, then we can image Christ and also defeat the works of Satan. And so family, you have the power to overcome spiritual evil in your life, that you would not just dwell in the valleys, in the dirt where Satan himself is as well, but that you may ascend up to the mountain. And even as you're ascending up into the mountain and as the enemy tries to grab your heel, then you, as you identify with Christ, can also with him crush the head of the serpent because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. And we got to recognize that reality. You can fight and you can win because Jesus gave you the power. Okay, 
multiple really quick applications. I'm just reading some scripture here. If you wanna take some notes on how you overcome evil, you can overcome it. I already said all these, but I wanna give you specific verses to tag to, and then we'll jump up out of here. We'll pray and worship to close. The first application is we need to kill sin, okay? That's application number one, kill sin in your life. First John chapter five, verse 18. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. You see that? The evil one does not have to touch you, family. The less garbage that is in your life for the demonic world to feed on, the more you will be free from its oppression. So kill sin in your life. It begins to get weak. It cannot even feed anymore because you're not feeding the serpent garbage. Okay, and so number two, what do we do? We resist Satan, okay? Kill sin and then resist the devil. James chapter four, verse seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Listen, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just resist the devil. It sounds so simple, right? It's like, that's all, that's all I do is like just resist. It's like, yeah, God ain't trying to complicate it, family. He's trying to give you some deliverance. So say, I rebuke that. I don't believe that. I'm going to reject that this lie I'm hearing about myself or about God, that is not true. Resist and you will flee from you. You'll be filled with the power of God. What he has to offer is trash. And as you realize that really all it is, is garbage covered in gold. When you recognize that's the offerings of Satan, it's really easy to resist him, family. What God has to offer you is better, even if it seems harder to receive in the moment, it will be your exaltation at the end. You gotta believe that. Thirdly, Ephesians 6, 18 just says, pray, right? That's the passage we didn't cover there. That's how you overcome spiritual evil. 6, 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, okay? With all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. So we also pray for one another. So we have a prayer team, y'all. At the end of the gathering today, come up and receive prayer. If you feel like there's been oppression in your life, ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you, confess your sin and pray for one another and you will be healed. The scripture says, that's not a magic trick. It's this that we're talking about here. Fourthly, we gotta understand Satan's tactics, okay? Second Corinthians chapter two, verses 10 through 11. It says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Here's this unforgiveness thing. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake and the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul seems so confident that he understands the tactics of Satan. Are y'all that confident? Can you say, I know what the devil's doing? That's what Paul says here. We're not ignorant to the designs of the devil. So as we spend time in the word, as we spend time in community, as we think about what the enemy may be doing, we are able to overcome so that we're not outwitted by Satan. So be in the word, you'll understand his tactics, stay rooted family. And then finally, I'll end with this, okay? What we need to have is intimacy with Christ. That's our number one thing. I'll put this up on the screen after I read this again, okay? So if you're trying to catch up, it'll come back up. But please hear this, Luke chapter 10. Says the 72 disciples, they returned with joy. Listen, listen, y'all, listen. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus said to them, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. 
But nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven, family. In other words, put that list back up. Intimacy with Jesus is the most important thing in the midst of all of this. You could overcome every single spiritual evil in your life. And if you're not intimate with Jesus, you're missing the main thing, y'all. Because the evil is trying to stop your relationship with Christ. And so as we resist the devil, as we kill sin, as we understand his tactics, we're able to receive deeper intimacy. That's what this whole thing is about, family. Jesus wants your heart. And he knows that what he has for you is good. It's eternal good, in fact. And so as we ascend up the mountains of God to receive the joy of God, we have to recognize that evil is trying to destroy all of it, family. It's trying to rip away all of it from your life. But as you recognize that he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world, as you cling fast to Jesus, then even in the valleys, you will not fear because what the heck can evil do to you? Jesus already defeated it. It's already an open shame. And at the end, the enemy is going to be tossed into hell with all demons and you will reign forever if you believe in Jesus. That's your destiny. And you can live in that reality even now, family. Put to death evil. Recognize it, but it ain't scary. Just defeat it. It's real simple. Amen? It's a lot of content, y'all. Thanks. Thanks for journeying with me. I love you guys. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Um, yeah, Christ, as the worship team comes back up and as we close our gathering, I just want to pray really specifically today, Father. God, I first want to pray for those who are in this room who are battling with spiritual evil, particularly if they do not have a relationship with you. If the enemy is trying to steal thoughts about God from their mind, I pray, Jesus, that you would be stronger than that enemy. Friend, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. That's the most important thing, like we just discussed. And you can have a relationship with Jesus as you believe in him. The spiritual world is real. You will live in a spiritual body forever. This is true. This is not fairy tale. And the enemy wants to stop your belief in that very thing. Resist him. Cling fast to Jesus. He wants relationship with you. God, I pray for all of us who have that relationship with you. I pray a couple things specifically. One, I pray for deliverance, Jesus. If there is spiritual darkness and evil in our lives that we have not released, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would even draw our awareness to that. And I pray for deliverance right now in your name, Jesus. You have the power and the authority and and we have all privilege in you because we are your sons and daughters. I pray for deliverance, Christ. God, I pray for a recognition of the spiritual evil around us. I pray that you would give us that recognition so that we can fight against it. Let us fight. And Jesus, last, I just pray for intimacy with you. Above everything else, if we tread on every single serpent that has ever existed and cast out all from everybody, but don't have intimacy, we're missing the main thing. Jesus, let us have intimacy with you and believe that what you have to offer is better than every lie that Satan is giving us. You are good. You are God. Let us believe that, Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray that we would even respond with worship. And even as the enemy tries to corrupt our thoughts and make us be confused, let us have a sacred moment, even here as we close our gathering with you. Pray against darkness and for light in each of these brothers and sisters' lives. 
I pray this in your sacred name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.